0: Turn if you would in your in your Bibles to Exodus chapter five. In the uh, pew Bible, I believe that's on page fifty one. Continuing our journey through the book of Exodus this morning, <clears throat> I've entitled the sermon "Praying Against Promised Pushback." Because after that, after, I, uh, after I share this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, enter to a final time of prayer of supplication and intercession. and I want us to read and consider these uh, these verses this morning. In that light, in other words, as we as we explore God's word this morning, let's think of prayers that are appropriate to the passage. As we think about our text and asking, what what was God calling me to pray for myself and for others, for this church, for our world, for the church universal? What prayers are are, are should we draw from this particular passage? I'm going to start us. Uh, I'm going to continue the story here in chapter five. Verse 1, I'm going to read through chapter 6, verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. And you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and make sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And the Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That that is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now, now, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. "'Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites "'whom the Egyptians are enslaving, "'and I have remembered my covenant. "'Therefore, say to the Israelites, "'I am the Lord, "'and I will bring you out "'from under the yoke of the Egyptians. "'I will free you from being slaves to them, "'and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm "'and with mighty acts of judgment. "'I will take you as my own people, "'and I will be your God.' Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? the word of the Lord, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen. It's an incredible story, isn't it? One of the things that truly blows me away about Scripture is how just uh, again and again and again, it is anticlimactic. It's amazing. It's amazing how you have this self-revelation of God in chapter 6, Surrounded by such such disappointment, such uh, seeming failure. I want to take a few minutes and focus on a few things. There's a lot going on here. But I'm going to focus on a few things. First, I want us to recall the promised pushback. Okay? As we read this chapter, chapter 5 and in chapter 6, it seems like everything is going wrong, right? And it is. But it also isn't. Because everything that's happened in chapter 5 has been promised by Yahweh. Look, look back in chapter 3. In fact, on several different occasions, we see this. It's very, very powerful. Look in chapter 3, and verses, uh, verse 18 through 20. God is speaking to Moses, and he says, The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt, And say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So, what is God promising? He's saying, Listen, you're going to go and you're going to tell him, Hey, let my people go. And guess what? He is not going to listen. He won't budge, he won't move he will laugh at you verse 20 so i will stretch out my hand and strike the egyptians with all the wonders that i will perform among them and after that he will let you go then if you look down in verse or chapter 4 verse 21 and 22 on page 50. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you you the powers to do. But listen to this. What? I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So twice in the last two chapters, God has told Moses, In fact, he's told Moses and the elders. He told Moses to tell the elders. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, look at what it says. Verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders and the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Now listen to this. And it says, and they believed. And that's really interesting. Interesting. It says they believed. Now let me go back to chapter four, verse eight and nine, really quick. I want you to see this. And well, I start in verse seven. Uh, well, I, I know, actually, actually um, verse yeah, it's verse eight. Then the Lord said, "If they do not believe you, that is, they, the Israelites, or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you," Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Isn't that interesting? Why the, why, why the uncertainty on Yahweh's part? Listen, you're going to show them a first sign, a snake, and your staff is going to turn into a snake. A snake. Then you're going to show them the second sign, is where you put your hand inside your robe, and it comes out, and it's all like leprous or something, like just, you know, uh, diseased. And then you put it back in, and it's just fine. And he says, but you know what? They may believe those, but they may not. And if they don't, here's his third one, and hopefully they'll, you know, they'll believe that. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that apparently God's people may not believe the promises. Now look, at, again, again, look back at chapter the end of chapter 4, where it says, verse 30, it says, And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Verse 31, and they believed. And this is exactly, this is, this is, things seem to be going according to plan. And yet in verse 5, every, I'm sorry, chapter 5, everything seems to go south. So that in chapter 6, we read this in chapter 6, verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but what? But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and the harsh labor. So at the, at the end of chapter four, you've got a people who are like, hey, we believe you. Moses, we're on board. We're game. We're going to go. they we are encouraged that God had actually heard about them. And this is, look, look at the very last verse of chapter four. It says, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Oh, what a beautiful scene. Moses comes, Aaron comes, and they, they perform these miracles. They report all that God has said. The people believe them. They're so encouraged that God cares about them. And it says they what? They bowed down and worshiped. And it's just, oh, it's just so magnificent. It's, it's so encouraging. Everything seems to be uh, uh, going according to plan. And then in chapter 5, it all just just goes down, goes south. It's all just lost. And what I want you to see, especially this morning, is that it's right in that moment in chapter 6 when God chooses to reveal himself. When God, I mean, he starts out, I'll summarize chapters, uh, chapter six, verses one through eight in this way. I love this language, it's so beautiful. He says, now, look at verse one of chapter six. Then the Lord said to Moses, right? Things have gotten so bad. In fact, even Moses is frustrated, right? Look at the end of chapter five. He says, why, verse 22, why, O Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is that why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Did you hear the irritation? Do you hear the self-pity? Do you hear the frustration? And it's right at that moment, When literally Pharaoh is at his strongest. God's people are at their weakest. When Moses himself is just, I'm not, you know, ready to quit. That God says in verse one, for verse two of chapter six, I love this. I'm sorry, verse one. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, now, that word now is emphatic in the Hebrew. Now, when everything is going wrong, now when God's people are as pathetic as they could possibly be, as full of unbelief, when they have just abandoned ship, now when Pharaoh seems the strongest, when everything is going wrong, now I am going to show you what I'm going to do. Why would God wait for that moment? Why would he wait? In fact, what's so amazing is that he reveals himself. He says, now, that's the first thing he says, and he says, now I will, ma- I will be fully known. Look in verse 2, verses 3 through 4. Now, I am the Lord, he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, listen to this, I did not f- make myself fully known to them. He's saying, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they knew my name Yahweh. But I didn't fully disclose the meaning of that name. And it's here in the Exodus story. It's here when things couldn't be possibly worse. It's here through all of this that I'm going to show them the fullness of who I am. Now I will be fully known. And then he says, I will be fully, now I will be fully known in the verses 5 through 8. And I will make you my own. Now think about that. The Israelites have blown it as much as possible. They have lost the plot. Moses is not even on board anymore. And it's in that moment when they have failed most that God says to them, what? I am going to make you my own. Look in verse 5. Yeah, verse 5, he says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the, the, the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now listen to this. I will free you from being slaves of them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a, with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to be my owner my own people, and I will be your God. That's a famous line. It's one of the central acts of the covenant relationship where God says, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And he's saying, so in this moment when things couldn't be worse, when God's people are at their least committed, when they are ready to abandon ship, God says, okay, now I'm going to reveal myself. Now I will be fully known and make you my own. And then verse 9, isn't it amazing? Look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him. Isn't it amazing how anticlimactic it is? It's just Now, why would God do this? Why would he wait until now? I think this is so important. Because do you ever feel like things are at their worst? Do you ever feel like your faith is at its weakest? The people of God are at their weakest? And that the powers, the, uh, the, the God's foe, the, the, the Israel's foes, that Israel's foes, that our foes couldn't be stronger? Let me say it this way. Israel's foes couldn't be stronger. Israel's faith couldn't be weaker. It's a complete disaster. And of course, but here's the thing. This is, this is why narrative is so brilliant. This is why so much of Scripture is a narrative. It's because as readers, what do we know? <laughs> right? We're like... They'll be fine. I know how the story ends. Right? We're so, we just kind of read it with such almost just kind of a sense of, ah, they'll be okay. But in the moment, they are freaking out. Moses is freaking out. They are getting hurt. I mean, they're real people being beaten by Pharaoh's, by Pharaoh's uh, servants. It seems like things couldn't be darker. And yet as readers, to have that struggle, to say, yeah, I can identify with that. I know what that feels like a little bit. I know what it's like that we feel that God's people are at their strongest. I mean, their foes are at their strongest and God's people's faith is at its weakest. And yet to see God and to know where the story goes. And listen to this, guys. I want you to hear this. God chooses to reveal himself to his people in the darkest of times. He wants them to know, now I'm gonna make myself fully known. Now I'm gonna take you as my own. Now I'm gonna ask you, if you're going through a dark time, if you think of the church today as going through a dark time, let me ask the question, do you think God wants to reveal himself to you? Are you open to that? Or, like the Israelites, we just simply not listen because of our discouragement, not listen because of our harsh labor. You know, as I try to identify with this passage, I find myself trying to, and I do in some ways, but I realize, you know what? Moses and the Israelites had it way worse than I do. <laughs> I'm going to go home tonight and sleep in my bed. You know what I mean? No one's beating me. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's amazing, the pity party that I can create for myself. And I've been through hard, there are really, legitimately hard things in my life. They're, they're really difficult. And yet you read this and you go, you know what? I just don't know that I think, I think I'm, I'm doing a lot better than these guys are. And places things in such perspective. Like, Okay. If I could like jump in a time machine and go back to that moment right here and right now, would I want to go? Yeah, I really don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so at all. So listen, so as we think, what I want you to see here is that just this, all of this pushback in chapter 5 is promised. It's part of the plan. And it may seem so unnecessary. Why does God have to do all this? But he wants to reveal himself when things are at their worst so that we might see who he is and we know how the story ends. Now listen, let me just take a really brief here. Let me just take a few moments because I want to talk about three different aspects of the journey that, that God's people go on from faith to faithlessness. Okay. So again, let's let's remind ourselves, look at the end of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron go to the Israelites, to the elders. They speak, it says, verse 30, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said. So all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4, it was all reported to the elders of the Israelites, who in turn would have let 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 the rest of the people know. Verse 30, he also performed the signs before the people. That is, the staff was turned to a snake, the hand uh, the hand thing with the leprosy, uh, perhaps the water also turning to to the water turning to to blood he performed all the signs of the people and they believed and they heard that God was concerned, and it says, and they bowed down and worshiped. how do you go from this place of seeming faith of seeming trust of seeming gratitude of seeming worship to a place in chapter six where it's like Chapter six, verse nine. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him. They said, "Listen now, I got now. This is what God says. Now I will be fully known, and now I will make you my own." And they're like, "Meh, I really don't care. It means nothing to me." How do you go from from one to the other? In in three in, in three uh, in three steps here. First, our faith becomes weak. It becomes far-fetched. In fact, faith in general, this is not only true for Christians, but for non-Christians, faith becomes so far-fetched. It becomes so fake. It becomes so hollow when three things happen. One, when the opinions of the powerful are foremost. When the opinions of those in power are first and foremost. Our faith becomes weak when important people think that God is irrelevant. Look in chapter 5, verse 2. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and in response, Pharaoh says what? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Understand, Pharaoh is God. He is a God incarnate. He is the son of Ra. There are thousands of God in Egypt, and he knows all of them. He's got them all covered, and he's like, listen, if, if Yahweh were a God that I needed to know, I would know who he is, and I don't. So, obviously, he's not worth knowing. Our faith grows weak when people in positions of power, whether it's political, whether it's news media, whether it's higher education, say that God doesn't matter. He just doesn't matter. Pharaoh basically says, listen, Moses and Aaron, no one cares. No one cares. And listen, in our institutions, and our culture today, people are saying regularly, no one cares. They're saying that. No one cares. And, And honestly, from Pharaoh's perspective, I mean, Egypt's been around for already a couple millennia. It is the most advanced civilization in the known world. He is, there's no history of the Jewish people. There's no Western tradition. There's nothing like that behind Moses and Aaron. There's no, oh yeah, There's. I mean, they knew about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that's all they had in their corner, except for this one guy named Joseph. They had Joseph, but they'd forgotten about Joseph somehow. And yet today, people are saying, God doesn't matter. No one cares. And yet, listen to this, the last two millennia of human history in the West are governed by what? The Judeo-Christian tradition. That's so much of our, in fact, it was a wonderful book that came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago, by a guy named Tom Holland. not the Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man, the actor, but a, a historian by the name of Tom Holland, and it's called Dominion. And it's a book, I mean, Tom Holland is not a believer, he's an atheist, but he basically, the whole thesis of the book, a book that has been hailed by many as, um, as just a, a sort of a tour de force He writes this, listen, quote, many in the West reluctant to contemplate that their own values and even their own lack of belief might be traceable back to Christian origins. In other words, the things that we as Westerners take for granted, equality, a shared influence, skepticism about people in power, um, value, the, the value and worth of the individual person. All of these things have their roots in what? The Christian faith. That even the people who would profess just to be, to, be, to be very distant from Christianity, so much of what they believe is actually rooted in the truths of Scripture. And of course, the irony here is so awesome. It's when Moses, when the Pharaoh says, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, that I should worship him? The irony, of course, is that the reader of Exodus, we never actually know who these pharaohs are. They're left unnamed, and thus unknown. In fact, the only, the only, thing, the only reason that we know about these pharaohs is from, from the Bible. Think about that. In fact, it's the same is true for Augustus in the first century. Augustus, who, when, when, uh, who was um, reigning when Jesus was born. Caesar Augustus says one historian has slipped, from the, has slipped from wider consciousness. For most people, he is a name mentioned in Christmas services or in school nativity plays, and nothing more than that. Listen, no one cares about Pharaoh today. No one cares about Augustus today. Listen to this. Billions of people today care about the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Faith falters when, when in our hearts the, the opinions and perspectives of the powerful are most important. I'm just, it's so worse, just stopping and saying, do I really, how much, how much weight do I give to social media? How much weight do I give to the news media? How much weight do I give to those in higher education? How much weight do I give in those of positions of political and economic power? I mean, I tell you, I see these economists, and I'm sorry, I'm just I'm not an economist, I don't know, but I see these economists talk about what's going to happen in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. And it's like, maybe. But most of the economists get Nobel Prizes for being the least wrong. And that's just, they just They just don't know. And that's what, to me, like today's experts simply cannot say. It's the one thing they can't seem to say. Is like, you know what? We just don't know. It's too complicated. But if you look in Scripture again and again and again, God laughs at the important people. He laughs at those in positions of power. And you and I are called to do the same. Yes, we're to respect them. But we are not to give their opinions and their perspectives first place. Oh, my goodness. Jesus himself says in Matthew eleven, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the little children. And in 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are all about how the, the powers of this world are fools. They don't know anything. So that Paul exhorts the Christian, he says, Those of you who are wise according to the standards of the world, let them become fools in order that they may become wise. So what's the first thing that makes faith falter? When the opinions and perspectives of the powerful become foremost. The second thing that makes faith falter is that when the priorities of the powerful become first. Look in verses 4 and 5. The king of Egypt has said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. And the whole next section, the next 10 verses or so are all about what? Moses, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh prioritizing work. Work, work, work. Pharaoh was a great American. He would have made an amazing American because we Americans are workaholics. We tell our kids from day one, the more you learn, the more you'll earn Right, And it's all about being busy. It's about filling your day. It's why? You, it's so important. There's so much to do that you don't have time for what, says Pharaoh. What has Moses asked? Has he even said, let my people go because we're going, we're going to Canaan? What does he asked for? Worship. Worship. It's just a three-day journey in the wilderness. We'll be back. And Pharaoh, he, you don't even have time for three days off. You need to work harder. There's no one in our culture today saying, work less. There's no one in our culture saying, listen, you you need to just take time for spiritual things. You need to set aside a sacred day of the week that says no matter what, this is a time of worship. It's a time of rediscovering who I am, of what I'm about, what really matters. It's about stopping and reflecting and thinking about, you know, what's really important in my life. It's about connecting with people who are like-minded. It's about serving others. It's about being together. Moses or Pharaoh was a phenomenal American. And you know what? So much of the church today, we have made the the we have made the priorities of the powerful first. We really have. So the important people today, just like Pharaoh, they think that God and the worship of God is optional. Not only is it optional, it's really inefficient. You need to get to work. There are more important things to do. And guys, I tell you, as I look at Good Shepherd the last four years, I have to say this. that for The overwhelming majority of you, you come on Sunday morning when there's absolutely nothing else to do. No family commitments. No athletic sports commitments. Yeah, I guess, anything else to do? Uh, I guess we'll go to church. Now Let me ask you, if you had a high school or college-age 20-something son or daughter, and they came to you and said, listen, I found this guy or this girl, and we hang out probably once a week or so, once every two weeks, and he always makes time for me. She always makes time for me when they have nothing else to do. If there's someone else to hang out with, some other girl, some other guy to hang out with, there's some other fun event, there's something other sporting event going on, they do that first. But then when they have time for me, they fit me in. What would you say? What would you say to them? Why were you even hanging out with that person? What, 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 how important are they to your life? And Moses, the Pharaoh is saying, listen, there's no time for worship with Yahweh. There is no time. Get back to work. In fact, there's an an irony here. Look in verse 5, just real quick here, in chapter 5, verse 5. Pharaoh says, look, the, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That word stopping is the word in Hebrew to cease. It means, it's the word Shabbat. It's where we get our word Sabbath. You're, you're making them cease. You're making them. You're making them Sabbath. What are you doing? Come on. Yeah, there's like this is, this is an irony there in that. I mean, just, so first, what, what makes faith falter when the when the opinions and the priorities of the powerful are first, second. I'm sorry. When the uh, when the opinions of the powerful are first, and then second, when the priorities of the powerful are first, third, when the punishments of the powerful are feared most, when the punishments of the powerful, just very briefly. The, the Israelite, uh, those who are Israelites, they are, they are overseers of the rest of the enslaved population. They realize they're in huge trouble. In verse 15, they, uh, they went to Moses and they appealed to him. Moses says, Moses has, he doesn't accommodate them in any way in verses 17 and 18. In verse 19, it says, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you know, you must you know, keep keep making bricks without straw. And then, verse twenty, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, "May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have given us given and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They are understandably they are scared of the punishments of the powerful. Listen." Or we live in a world that says, if you don't prioritize what the world prioritizes, you'll be punished. You won't make the money you need. You won't have the titles you need. You won't have the esteem. You won't have the importance. I mean, the, the, it is amazing to me. Listen, it is amazing to me to hold. You know, did you know that, that select sports are an $18 billion industry? an 18 billion dollar industry in America people are making money hand over foot right and it's like it's like listen god forbid the coach be upset with me god forbid that my you know whatever whatever extracurricular activity is whatever sport it is whatever i mean music whatever it is god forbid that that they are upset with me if i somehow don't conform God forbid that my, that my, my, my employer doesn't, doesn't like something that I do because of my faith. Faith falters when the punishments of the powerful are feared most. Listen to Jesus' words. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, those who can kill the body and do no more. Fear the one who can kill the body and then throw you into hell. Finally, Finally, faith falters when the promises and plans of God are forgotten. Especially when they're forgotten by his leaders. Faith falters when the promises and plans of God are forgotten by God's people and especially his leaders. We see that in the very last part of chapter 5. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, O oh Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Everything's going wrong. He said, The sky is falling, the sky is falling. And yet everything... Everything that's happening, he'd been told before. Guys, I can't tell you how much fear and anxiety and frustration and despair happen in my life because I forget what God says. God says, expect A, B, C, and D. And then A, B, C, and D happen, and guess what? I freak out. Like everything's gone wrong. That's why being in the Word is so powerful. The more that we are in the Word, the more that we will expect hardship. We'll expect trial. It won't just un- dismantle us. It won't destroy us. It won't make us angry at God. It won't make us angry at others. It won't, it won't, we won't have to be, have lives full of anxiety and frustration, and irritation, and disillusionment, and despair because we, have, haven't, we haven't lost sight of the plans and the promises that God has for us. Let me uh, close with this. Um, I, I'm not a, I'll admit I'm not a baseball player here by any stretch, but I am told that um, in the, uh, I'm sure many of you, uh, um, those of you who are in baseball, have heard of the story. It's sort of legendary. I think it probably is legendary. But that in, the, uh, that in 1932, um, the New York Yankees were playing the Chicago Cubs. And of course, um, on the team of the time, like the team of the Yankees, was Babe Ruth, and it's, it's been debated, but I think it was in the it was four to four, and it was in the fifth inning, and of course Babe Ruth was at bat, and you, you look at the footage. Brad, you know this story? Okay, yeah, i was just curious. You even know this story? I'm just kind of curious. To, okay, but it's, so it's certainly the fifth inning, um, <clears throat> and it's the World Series of 1932. And there's this, the video isn't very, isn't very good because it's 1932. I don't think there even is video, but anyway, there, there is. And you see Babe Ruth, is, it's on this first or second uh, out, I think. And he literally points to, um, to you know, straight back, to behind second base. to, the, to the, and, and then I think another, he waits, and the ball comes in, and then he points again, and then boom, cracks it, and it's just, it, just, it just sails, it's a home run. And to this day, it's debated whether or not he was actually calling the shot. You know, he's calling the shot. But think about it, it's Babe Ruth. I I suspect that he probably was calling the shot. Now, what if our God is always calling the shots? Listen, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to say this. He's going to say Take a hike, and then you're going to do this and then this is going to happen and then I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen and then you're going to go out and you're going to be fine. You're going to go land to the land of Canaan. That's how it's all going to go down. Listen, gang, what if God is really calling the shots down to the detail? How are we going to pray in response to the promised pushback? Because I know it's a long service a little bit here, but let's take some time. God, forgive me for losing sight of your word. Forgive me For all this, but God, would you help me to be in Your Word so I can know Your plans and purposes? God, help me to to just ignore the priorities of this world. Help us as a church to just to forget the perspectives and opinions of those in power. There are so many good things to pray from this. So let's take a few minutes. Doesn't have to be too long, but let's pray together for for ourselves and for one another, and for the church and for the world. And let 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 our prayers, if possible, be informed by this incredible story of the Exodus. I'll start us off.